Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of the modern texts, as you heard in our ESV, you heard that distinction made from the Greek translated as, you cannot serve masters, for you either will love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You may be familiar that in some of the older translations, such as the King James, the New King James, they stick more with the literal, trans, or the literal word from Greek, which is not wealth, but mammon. Personally, I think that's a better translation because mammon is more than just wealth. It's not serving wealth. The idea of mammon that our Lord is putting forth in this text is probably more akin to greed. It's that idea of wanting to gather more and more power, prestige, and wealth, all of that, or to put it another way, to be in the world and even of the world. Lest we be naive, we must recognize that this is still a danger today. Mammon, if you want to call it wealth, prestige, power, whatever it is, is truly a temptation. That temptation to do whatever it takes to get whatever you want. Not what you need, what you want, what you desire, what you think will make you feel good, will make you happy, will make you the one who is greater than all. These are the temptations which Paul is warning against today. The temptations of the world. Unless we think that maybe temptations aren't a big deal for us, Paul makes it clear that temptations are truly all around us. He, he really puts forth three different temptations in our text today. I realized I probably didn't order them quite as they are in the text. But let us first talk about the first temptation. The one where he says, don't grumble. Now, this text I find amazing. Because the first temptation where he says, don't indulge in sexual immorality, my guess is maybe we wouldn't have a lot of discussion that that's wrong. And maybe it's not a struggle with some, maybe it's not a struggle with many, I don't know. I mean, in our world, there are definitely many temptations out there on this line, whether it be what we watch on TV, what's available on the internet, or our own thoughts. But I don't think it'd be strong, wrong for, or it would be a wrong impression that we recognize this is wrong. Although, how often do we turn a blind eye to it, even when it's in our families? Yet Paul then goes on to say, nor grumble. Who here would consider grumbling the same as sexual immorality? Yet Paul makes it clear that there is no distinction between the two. And why is that? Because at its heart, what is grumbling? Grumbling is saying that you do not trust that Jesus will provide for you. He's given you a promise. I will provide what you need day in and day out. When we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, remember what Luther says in the Catechism in that explanation. God certainly gives us our daily bread even without our prayers, even to evil people. Our Lord provides what we need in season and out. Yet there's often a great divide between what we need and what we want. The Lord does not promise that we will have filet mignon every single meal. He does not promise that we'll live in mansions. 
He doesn't promise that we'll have what the neighbors have or what they have down the road or down the street. And that how often do we grumble about it? We grumble because it's not what we want. We grumble because we can't go where we want. We can't do what we want. We can't eat what we want. The Lord will provide. And that temptation is stark out there that we don't trust Jesus. Yet, that doesn't mean that because Jesus will provide that we ignore him and we can do what we want, which is the other issue. I mean, that, when Paul talks about sexual immorality, he's talking, yes, explicitly about that. But it's also in a grander scheme, this idea that you can do whatever you want. You know, one of the issues that happens in the church is we sometimes go from one extreme to another. You probably have heard how Luther described the church as a drunken sailor going down the road. The only time it's right in the dead center is when it's going from one pit to the other on the either side. So yes, it is true. God will provide what you need. No matter what you do, he will provide what you need. That doesn't, though, mean we just sit back and do whatever we want. The Lord provides, but he provides through means. He always does. In the church, when it comes to salvation, he provides through the means of grace, through the word preached, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. And in this world, he provides through society. He provides through the labor of everyone's hands. And so it is, Paul will say at another time, he who does not work should not eat. Recognizing that even as we know God provides, we know that he provides for us. And so there's a temptation to do those things, either to not do what we should do, which is love neighbor through the labor of our hands, or to go ahead and do whatever we want. Of course, there's a third temptation. And this one is one that, being that you're here in church, probably doesn't apply to you, but it can still be there. Because, see, the first temptations, at least the person recognizes we owe something to our Lord. It's recognizing that we have a relationship to Jesus. We might be tempted to take him for granted. We might be tempted to grumble about him. We might be tempted to push and test him. But there's another temptation that says Jesus doesn't matter at all, that we can just ignore him. These temptations are dangerous because temptations give in to sin. The temptation itself is not sinful. As long as we live in this world, we will face temptations. Our Lord faced temptations. We know that from the wilderness and from the cross. But our problem is how often we give in to it. Yet, Paul makes clear in our lesson today that the danger from temptations are probably not the one we expect. Because when we think of temptations, the obvious danger is giving in of actually giving in to that temptation that's before us. But the truth is, that's not the primary danger. And I'd like to just pause real quick, because I'm not saying it's not a danger by any means. But it's not the primary one. The primary one is, how do we react when we do give in to temptation? You see, the reason why Satan tempts us so often is because he knows that when you give in to that temptation, and the worse, the greater the temptation, and the worse you give into it, 
that there's often one of two reactions that the Christian has. The first is despair. How could I have let myself do that? How can I be a true Christian if I've done what I just did? We shouldn't have done it. We should strive against it. Paul also puts forth that it is an exercise of our faith to resist temptation. But we will stumble, we will fall. And when we fall hard, Satan will magnify that sin in our minds. We become embarrassed, especially if that sin becomes no. We might avoid church. We might think the best way to do is just to hide out and let no one see us and pretend that God himself can't see us. The danger here, of course, is if we cut ourselves off from that means of grace, it only compounds the problem. Of course, then there's the other side of it. Maybe we don't give in to despair, but we give in to temptation and things don't go wrong, or maybe it's not as bad as we thought it would be. And here then we think, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Do I really need forgiveness for this sin? Is it really a sin? Temptations are dangerous, yes, because when you give in to that, you give in to sin, and sin is deadly. But it can also lead us in one way or another to think we don't need Jesus, that we don't need a Savior or we're not good enough for a Savior or we're somehow outside of his help. Paul says about temptations, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. These words of Paul, I expect sometimes, probably often, get misunderstood. You probably also have heard the saying that when God closes the door, he opens a window. I think it was Ben Franklin who said that, not God, because it's not in the scriptures. This is the closest passage to that, And it's not even what I think it often is understood to be. What usually people hear this is that God will always give you the ability to resist the temptation. And it almost comes out if you're a good enough Christian, if you're strong enough, and if you're able enough, then you'll resist it. But that's not what Paul is saying. Because at the end of the day, who are we? We are sinners who are plagued by sin. It's not an excuse to give in to sin. But my friends, by the time you get back here next week, if you don't think there's any sins you have to confess, you better look into the mirror of that law a little harder, because they will be there. We do resist. By God's gift, we will resist. I'm not saying it's hopeless that we will always give in to temptation. But you will stumble. When we resist indeed, and I should also point out that even if we resist indeed, that you don't allow yourself to give in to that temptation in action, how often have you thought about it and desired it? How often have you given in in thought, maybe even in word? And yet we can also know that resisting temptation is possible because pagans can resist temptation when the consequences is great enough. I hesitate to say this because I don't necessarily want to make it sound like a political statement, but I'll at least put forth that one of the reasons why we have police, one of the main reasons we have police and need police, is because it does discourage crimes 
and they are needed. There is a reason why laws curb. That's the first purpose for the law. But when Paul says that God will give the way of escape, he is not saying that if you're a good enough Christian, you will always resist temptations by any means. What is the way of escape from temptation? Paul says you'll endure it, recognizing that you'll give in because the way of escape is none other than the way of the cross. It is by forgiveness of sins that comes to you through the word, and especially the reception of the Lord's Supper. I find it interesting where this pericope ended for the epistle lesson today, especially given the fact that so often in this pericope of the Lutheran service builder, they have longer and, and extended readings because it really misses the whole point of what the escape is. Let me continue on the words of Paul, starting in verse 14. Well, back up and start with 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Paul here is pointing out, yes, resist, but when you fail, flee to Christ. Do not despair that you are a Christian or beyond Christ's redemption. There is no sin for which Christ has not paid for. There is nothing that we can do or have done that has not been taken account in our Lord's death on the cross. He has shed his blood for you. He has redeemed you by his crucifixion. And today he offers you that forgiveness, the price which he paid for you at his altar. The means of escape is none other than the price our Lord paid for you, not with gold or silver, not with works of our hands or labors of our hearts, but with his suffering and death. By his death, you have been forgiven. And so it is, having paid the price, by his resurrection, you have been justified. You have been made right with the Lord. You have been washed clean in his blood. And we stand as ones who are his children now and always. May our fervent prayer be that the Lord grant us his spirit in full measure to help us indeed resist, to guard our hearts and stand firm in the day of temptation. When we slip, may that same spirit also bring us to repentance as we bow at the knees of our Lord and Savior and receive from him that gift of life, which grants, us, which grants us access into his kingdom, now and always. Amen. And we rise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.